0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Hey everyone, it's Matthew Zachary, and welcome back to Out of Patience. What was once a show is now a party, right here on the same feed you already subscribed to. Why? Because I'm now the ringleader of a whole new cast of senior correspondents with segments featuring opinion pieces, rants, and the latest news about the shit show that is our fabulous healthcare system. The only thing that hasn't changed is our mission to make healthcare suck less for everyone. Let's get started. Welcome back, friends. Larry Reinis joins me today live in studio. (laughs) He describes himself as an enemy of the status quo. This guy had me at hello. He's a long-term survivor of a very rare condition that has lots of syllables that you'll learn about during the show. Polycy-something-something. His humble beginnings began as a paperboy in the 1970s and 80s, much like the video game we all remember in the malls we grew up in. 8-Bit looks so good when you're falling off a bike getting hit by a stick. He's been an active advocate for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, doing the team and trainings. He's a prolific blogger. He talks about what it's like to grow up in an age where rare disease actually has a voice and what you can do about it and how you build your communities. You know, I'm, I'm not a fan of just beer your own advocate. Not everyone has the... Uh, The chutzpah, embedded in their genetics to be their advocate, but he's a great guy, very authentic. On the business side, he's the managing partner of something called the Alternative Board, which helps forward-thinking business owners grow their businesses. It's good stuff, but it's all connected to his humanity, his experience, and his leadership as a patient advocate over the last 30 years. Ladies and gentlemen, Larry Rynus.
1: I'm never angry.
0: You're, oh, what are you, you're the anti-Hulk? I am the anti-Hulk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how do you stay not angry? There's so many things to be angry about. Of course there are, and that's why I'm 62 and don't look it. Is it
0: true, though? Like, the older you get, I mean, I'm 48, and I can appreciate a version of what I'm about to say,
1: which is the, the less fucks you give, the older you get. The less fucks you give. Yeah, just, if you just never sweat the small stuff, you're in great shape. But you don't know how to do that at 22 years old. Yeah, I actually compartmentalize. That was one of my gifts is getting compartmentalization down pat. So things could happen and you don't have to own them and you can compartmentalize it away from your next activity.
0: So we're going to talk about you living with a rare condition from 26 years ago? Uh,
1: 1995. What's right. That? That's yeah. 27 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Wait, how old were you then? Uh, 1960. So that makes me 35.
0: Okay. So let's talk about, were you already in a pre no fucks to give space in your life and business at that point, or did it accelerate your no fucks no, to give? No, it, it accelerated my, yeah. I don't give. Yeah. It totally did. Right. There's no so, question. I mean, this is really important when, when, when healthcare falls on you, right.
1: Did you do anything wrong? Right. <laughs> no, of course not. You're right. No, <laughs> you just wonder wh- wh- why me? What, what, ha- what happened? I did Not me. That'll teach you to roll around in raw sewage as a kid, <laughs> which was. we all did in the 80s, right? I mean, raw sewage for the, everyone. In the 60s, I drank out of water fountain in Central Park. But I love this part
0: of my show where we just we go back to like, well, we didn't die when we had no bike helmets and car seats.
1: <laughs> That's true. How do we make it? How did anyone live past 1980? Uh, agreed. That's brilliant, isn't it? It's true. Where'd you grow up? Uh, New York City
0: and oh. then Long Island. Born or raised. All right, so Long Island, Nassau or Suffolk? Nassau. All right, that's a better answer.
1: Great Neck, New York. Better answer. That's it. Specific. You're not going out to the, the fishtail. No, I'm not, well, not even close. <laughs> it was still a city boy, right? It, that's when, right. When you're there, you go you go into Met Games, take the Severn train.
0: Do you still call it Shea Stadium? Because I refuse I, oh, to call it I, City I,
1: Field. Uh, yes, it is. Sorry. it always It's Shea forever. It's Shea. Forever. And it's there. It's in the same spot. So I, I don't know. know why they would even change the name. It's what? like my, when my dad comes back to visit
0: Brooklyn, Ebbets Field's like a little triangle on a sidewalk now, right. <laughs> but it'll always be Ebbets Field, right?
1: Agreed. Ebbets Apartments, whatever the hell it is. I know. I was here when they talked about moving the garden. I got upset because that was the garden is the garden. Yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't move it. Uh, yeah, that was just political, I think. Yeah, by nature. So, as things as 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 life goes on, things become old and new. We just mm-hmm. deal with it, right? So, I feel like, so what were the 60s like? No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, th- this show is all about, obviously, consumer healthcare and protection mm. and, and some of the, I mean, we're recording this at a time where the, the country's falling apart. We always talk about uh, the nostalgic aspects of healthcare when you kind of just died of things <laughs> and now you kind of live with things. Right. No, it, it's <laughs> better problems to have. It,
1: it's really true. It, it is a big thing. First of all, what were you diagnosed with, and was it life-threatening? It's called a, mylo- uh, it's a myeloproliferative disorder. That's a lot of syllables. A myeloproliferative disorder. So myeloproliferative? That's correct. Like prolific? Yes. So my I don't b- want a
0: disease that's <laughs> prolific. No, no, you <laughs> don't, no, actually. Who named that?
1: <laughs> it's called polycythemia vera. There are a couple of different angles of, of MPNs. And it is proliferative because my blood, I make too much blood components, right? So my white cells, my red cells, and my platelets are too great. So we have to slow down the production. And See, if you were the Hulk. Yeah. You'd be fine. <laughs> it would be great. <laughs> I was a cyclist, and I always said to Lance Armstrong, I can give you my blood, and that's blood doping. It's sort of funny in some way. Did you know him? I knew him. No, I didn't know him, but I knew I mean, it was a cyclist, so right. I, of course I knew
0: of him. Did you do anything for Livestrong? I see you're doing stuff for Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Oh,
1: well, no, because uh, I did it for uh, LLS right. and, and team and training, and we just uh, it was wonderful experience to just get together with a group of people. And um, but raise funds for, for disorders. It, 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 ironically, it didn't really hit polycythemia because that's an orphan disease. Right. So it, the money never got there. And my hematologist always said, "Why don't you, um, why don't you help out the, right. the MBNs? Do something doing? at least." I'm going. Well, this is organized. I'm, you know, you bring money into the the cause, and and I do believe that if you do cure some form of cancer, other forms are also taken care of at the same time.
0: Well, we're going to get to something that might blow your mind because like the next five years of like treatment for rare diseases is, is like Star Trek shit. It's crazy Star Trek shit. I want to get your thoughts on in the second half of the show. Cool. So you're in your mid-30s. Family? Uh, yeah. A, a Wife and two children.
1: And how was this manifested? Like did your head fall off one day? No, it was worse. It was actually... My hands and my feet were always swollen and I got to the point of extraordinary pain and they said, oh, well, you have gout because your feet hurt. And I literally at some point I took my shoes and I cut off my, the toes of my shoes and I walked around without shoes that had no toes in it to hopefully stop the pain and the pain never stopped. And I went to all these different doctors, one after another, after another, and then someone said, why don't you just see a hematologist? Did you ask what the hell's hematology? Well, at that point, of course, yeah. I mean, 35 i perfectly healthy as far as I knew. And I went and I ended up at, uh, with Dr. Jacob Brand at uh, Mount Sinai. And he came and saw me. He just looked at my blood tests and he said, you have a myeloproliferative disorder. Myeloproliferative, he said it really slow. And he handed me a brochure and he said, this is what you have and that's um, nine syllables. it could be i don't know how many syllables. it's too many even, that's not even directly <laughs> proportional to severity <laughs> so and i said well what does it he goes well you you're creating too many blood cells and luckily we can control it and obviously like anything you your mind goes what well, what does that mean and i and i think i walked out of the first meeting saying oh i have a myeloproliferative disorder and i have a brochure how bad could it be <laughs>
0: Welcome to what's the NP? Welcome to the NPN brochure.
1: <laughs> so, so I, and my brother happens to be in the sciences, and I called him up and I said, you know, the guy said to me, I have this myeloproliferative disorder, and I, had, I didn't say it right, I didn't spell it right, and he goes, no, you. It was almost disbelief, and as I started to read about it, I said, well, this sort of sucks. This isn't really good, right? And then you start reading that uh, it. Sort and of, you mean reading because this there was no internet. Oh, there was no internet.
0: So. I, I was diagnosed in 96 so we're like fuck by Clinton era healthcare. Right.
1: No, no, and you didn't know what to do, right? Because so it was how do I get to understand what it is that I have? And he was like, "Oh, you know, I came in the the treatment's easy, it's really not that big of a deal." And, uh, you know, you read about it. And what did I read? That most people live three to five years. And I'm, I might call my brother and say, okay, this, is, this isn't <laughs> this is just something. This is bullshit, real. right? Yeah. yeah, this got real fast. And he's going, well, yeah, but you're 35. And most people that get it are 60. And I'm saying, oh, I don't need to be part of the lucky sperm club. But of how does that help you in any way? Right. That's not data I need right now. <laughs> well, so the thought was, and the way it was he explained it to me, which made me feel better momentarily, was they died probably from other things as well, because they were old. And now that, I'm uh, sixty-two. It, it, uh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not buying any of it. Wait, have you outlasted the people he thought was well, dead by uh, the time <laughs> you were diagnosed? Well, it, it turns out that people who have it, you know, their are bone marrow, they have they have other afflictions that that happen. Um, and so, yeah, I've 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 outlasted a, a lot, but treatment helps, right? You just follow the treatment, and and the and the one thing that I learned early on, aside from reading, is just manage it. Mm-hmm. and and not only manage it but manage it so that the people that are treating you respect respect you when you say something about what you have even though that's hard to do because they are they've spent years learning it but you can basically read up and most things re- and educate yourself to the point of being able to speak like an authority
0: so outside of that fabulous pamphlet you got that totally solved all your problems on one clear day do you feel like you were spoken to as a person as a father or just as like a number or data. No, it,
1: it, Doctor Ram was it was amazing. He was he as much time as I needed and wanted. He would explain anything. He spoke slowly because the words were as uh, nine syllables. You said yeah. yeah. So they were they were all big words and they all nothing resonated. And uh, the more you read about it, the worse it could seem. And he sort of kept it on a very real level, saying, "Right now, you have nothing to worry about, and we're going to put you on one baby aspirin every day to solve your problems." That was it. That's the way it started, yeah. So, like, and they smell good too. maybe aspirins are like. I just remember their smell. John, John, what was it? Bear, uh, Saint Joseph's. Saint Joseph's, Joseph's aspirin. That's what it was. With yeah. orange flavored. Mm-hmm. I, so I got to take one every single day, and and that lasted for for years. And then the disease progressed a little bit obviously it's not fatal cuz i'm here but it i needed to up Gosh. the meds right rumors of your death have been greatly <laughs> exaggerated <laughs> agreed so yeah so as 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 the, it progressed and things got a little more uh, dire i had to just up the meds and Get, t- get into real medication. Is it genetic? Is it something you can no, pass down? No, no, no. Well, that's it's, good. No, this is, this is what I, I call it the luggy sperm club. I, I was born with <laughs> it and I got the one that And you're going to die with it. it. Yeah. And I will die with it. Hopefully not from it, but with it. Right, exactly. And, and hopefully in 30 years. And
0: uh, amen. So you're living with this through your 30s and 40s. Yes. And did it influence your perspective on your work did it I we're going to get to what you do which is coaching businesses but you know having started two companies myself you know having healthcare benefits having come from what I went through was so important to make sure that people that I I hire that become part of our team you know
1: reflect what I wish that I had right. or what we believe is deserved A 1000%. No, it, of course it it influenced everything I did after a while you you begin to realize how precious life is and what you have to do in order to maintain it, if you will. And it's, and it really comes down to management. And if you have the right attitude and you don't fear anything and you decide, I'm going to manage this, then you do your best. You learn as much as you can and you become your own advocate. And, and that's, that's what's helped and guided me through it. Do you think that
0: there's a conflation between no fucks to give and having no fear? It's a great
1: question. You you need to manage, right? So, you you have to give a fuck. You can't you can't just say no. This isn't this isn't going to be. There anything. are some things that you must give a fuck about, <laughs> right. and, and the, some things you should not give a fuck right, about. Right, <laughs> right? You have to you have to determine, and it's important. Obviously, it's important enough to, to 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 have to care about it and to manage it. And if you don't, then it it's not good. So you have to manage it and care about it, but you just have to have no fear. Maybe of the MRI machine, but nothing else. Well, that's the scanxiety. I love that, that phrase, right? Yeah. Well, is that part you. of your checkups? You have to go in every now and then? I go, well, I go in a lot, but uh, the MRIs are not unless something happens. And then I know that I'm in for a battery of exams. Mm. And, then, and it sort of is... The, the interesting thing is, and I hope this isn't too much of a tangent, February of uh, 20, I thought I had the flu and things lasted a long time. And I couldn't believe it that the flu was lasting day five, day six, day seven. And then one day I'm sitting there. You had the, monkeypox. I had <laughs> monkeypox. right. <laughs> and I looked at my wife and I said, you know, it's hard to breathe. But if I go to the hospital, they're going to make a shit show out of it. And they're going to take MRIs and they're going to take tests and it's going to take forever. And I don't know what it is. And all it is is a little challenge breathing. Yeah. And I, it was two days. And I I lived through it. And I got better. And just the fact that uh, that that was in my mind, I would have probably been in the hospital had I not had the fear of being poked and probed and 72 blood tests and we have to find out what's wrong, Uh, pictures all over the place. So in some ways, I'm I'm, I'm fearing any sickness, Mm -hmm. um, but I also know that I have to address it. And I and that was well before we knew that there was this thing called COVID nineteen. You were an early adopter. I was very early, and I was a survivor, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I I did survive it, and it was fine, and I am fine. I found obviously the antibodies were there when they finally came out with tests, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm 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 happy that it turned out okay.
0: Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have a great fall. Thank you. All right. On that note, we will be right back after a quick break.
1: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
0: I've been meeting a lot of people in recent months who never realized that that's what they had before we knew what it was. Right. And you recovered.
1: A hundred percent, yeah. So no late effects, no long COVID? No, I don't know what long COVID is anyway. I sort of ignore that and just keep living. But um, yeah, I've had fatigue. I had fatigue for probably eight or nine months. Like we're at the point where I I would just go and say, okay, I'm taking a nap. I'll be back. Mm -hmm. But that's the extent. But
0: I mean, you've been at this for 27 years. You know your body by now.
1: Yeah. But the, the, you don't know the fatigue. I, you don't know. So the, the negative about being at this for 27 years is that you think a lot when something happens, right? You're here you, you have some anomaly go on, a malady go on, right? I, I'm really, really tired. I'm really, really tired a lot. So what does that mean? Does that mean my blood's getting thicker? Does that mean my blood's getting thinner? Does that mean that my bone marrow is giving... You don't know. And you have to look and see. And that... and Those are moments. There are real moments when you just sit and say, okay, so what is this? (laughs) Where does this come from?
0: I have a lot of friends who've survived hematologic disorders, and there's a lot of odd parallels to brain cancer because it's invisible. You can't, your blood is in charge of you. You can't see it. There's nothing you do about it. It's not like like you can see breast cancer and remove something. There's, There's no part of that that
1: you can get rid of. No and and well I actually I do get rid of it by by the by the drugs right so the myeloproliferative is too many and the medication um does get rid of it that the, the biggest concern is will my bone marrow give out right but I don't live thinking about it one day to be honest right
0: well I mean this is like what's the point of living in fear if it's something you can't necessarily control the entirety
1: of right and 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 I and I actually asked a question which Still is open. Was, Why don't you just farm some of my bone marrow now so when I give out, I don't need a match. You just throw it back in. And the answer is, is because when you have overactive bone marrow, they just don't want you to have it again. And that would be interesting since the alternative is awkward. So you have too many blood cells. Yeah. Red
0: cells or white cells? Yes. Or yes. plasma? All of them? Yes.
1: Yes to so all So it's them like have. the
0: Japanese subway system of <laughs> arteries and veins? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I have to, uh, it's white cells, red cells, and platelets. So d- help me understand. So that makes it thicker. Yeah, sludge. Okay. So it, it it predisposes you to clots. I have a couple of clots. Okay. Clearly, I'm a doctor. Yeah, you're doing <laughs> right a good there. job here. I, uh,
1: you're diagnosing me.
0: Have you ever gone in for like um, stents or things like that?
1: No. So that. Uh, you don't know where it's going to happen. So uh, I, I would travel. I was in the footwear industry, and I traveled to Asia. I spent a lot of time in China.
0: what you in the footwear industry after chopping off the
1: front of your foot? After the, the shoes, the <laughs> was shoes. Was that before or after? <laughs> I, I wanted to chop off my foot because the pain was excruciating. But And when, one trip I came back, and I went for my regular checkup, and the doctor said, something's wrong. You have to go. And uh, we went, I, I guess they did a... Uh, not an x-ray of my, yeah, maybe an x-ray of my, my stomach and they, they saw a clot. It's called Bud Chiari disease.
0: Wait, wait, more acronyms, Sy- more, more syllables? More syllables, Bud but, Chiari,
1: but? Bud, B-U-D-D, okay. Chiari, C You're full of these words today. Dude, li- listen, do you have people walk in with simple things?
0: Hi, my
1: arm hurts. No, no, you have to leave now.
0: That's not severe enough. <laughs>
1: Get out of here, <laughs> healthy person. Yeah, so the, no one. It, it, it is what it is, right? Uh, but I. The, so I had a blood clot. I didn't know what it was. I did, my liver was swollen. I didn't know my liver was swollen. My spleen is swollen. Oh my god, my spleen is swollen. So I live with a, a, a little bit of an enlarged liver and a little bit of an enlarged spleen.
0: You have like an extraordinarily supportive family. I hope everyone, everyone I couldn't I couldn't. Yeah, they stuck with you. The whole time. <laughs> They're uh, still there. They have no choice, right? But,
1: but yeah, no, my, uh, my 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 brothers are just absolutely wonderful. My sisters, my wife, kids, absolutely good.
0: My dad's kind of theory of life through aging was that the ideal secret is to clean up nice, try to make it look good, but never look under the hood. What's under your hood? We, we know. <laughs> it's kind of a hot mess of medicines and it scans is. and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I was reading, I love this part, that you were very open about how you were a paperboy. I was. The early beginnings. That's the way I started. And what did you learn from being a paperboy besides tolerance of neighbors that didn't like you?
1: No. So it it was the brilliance of an entrepreneur. What happens when you start as a paperboy is that you learn every aspect of a business. You learn customer service. You learn fulfillment. How to ride a bike. Well, actually, I couldn't ride a bike because I had too many papers. I had to use a shopping cart. No Way. Way. 115 papers at one point.
0: Wait, so you pushed a, like a Wallbaums Pathmark shopping cart around your neighborhood every day? Yeah, it was like a granny cart is what it was. You fit hundreds of newspapers in a granny cart? You could fit it right up to the top. So you learn like spatial orientation too?
1: Yeah, you also learned that on Thursday when you get the Sunday paper, you start delivering it to those that ordered the Sunday paper.
0: We did that. The, the Sunday Times, we would pick up on, like, Saturday
1: afternoon. That's correct. Yeah. No, but was, and there was a magazine section, and there were a couple of sections you'd get early. And, right, and, and the it, rest would come. Yeah, and then if you tried to do it all on, on a Sunday, the Sunday paper was too big.
0: You, yeah, you learn supply and demand. You learn, like, economics because you're getting
1: tips and collecting. Well, you're collecting, so your account's payable, your account's receivable because you have to pay the guy. Yeah, you're receivable for, for collecting money. You knew that you had to provide good service to get tips. And you, know, you, had, you had to know the weather, too. Because the other way you wrap everything in a bag. Well, guess what? You always wrapped it in a bag because you never knew, you just had to do it. Right. You just, like that way you were, you were just prepared always.
0: So, did you like throw them from the street or did you individually walk up to the Well, houses? So, I
1: actually walked up because that was the way you got the best tips because mm. when you put it right where they wanted it, mm. that was the most desired effect to get the largest return on your labor. Wow. So Really? T- you were 13, 14? I, I, it must have been 12, 13, 14. I don't know when you were allowed to. I, I think I had to get working papers back then.
0: Working. I had working papers. Do you remember paper. that? I worked, yes. a little
1: green card That.
0: Mm-hmm. My first job, I was a busboy. Mm. And it was terrible. <laughs> it was just like absolutely terrible. But it it taught me a lot about being nice to people and, hey, my, I need water. Like, okay, you're rude, but I will be nice and come over and give you water. Here you go, sir. Have a nice eat- meal. But then I I... I my career took a strange twist, which I've talked about every now and then. I was playing piano at the time. I was getting lessons and, and getting classical jazz, whatever. And I got hired at like one of the old school like mafia speakeasy restaurant lounge bars underground on the island. Oh brilliant. And I played piano like in the for the good fellas. No. Oh, for like two and a half years straight. And you really needed to have a level of cultural decorum. At that place, because they also tended bar at like 15 years old, I learned how to roll Cubans. Because the bartender Rico was from Puerto Rico, he taught me everything I know, and I learned how to make like raw egg Caesar salad at the table. Oh, that's brilliant! Those are real great, interesting skills to have at 16 yeah, years really old.
1: Makes a paper boy look like a amateur.
0: The, the mink stalls were coming in. I had this oversized brandy snifter on the grand piano. I mean, out of fiction came fact. Right? Like there's right. ridiculousness, but there's something to be said for having like retail customer experience at a young age.
1: Oh, it was a full experience. It was supply side and demand side, and yeah. it was you know you had to sell, you had to do, you just did everything. So, talk me through how you got
0: from paperboy to what you're doing today. So, I, I guess minus it, the shoe business. No, well, <laughs> but the shoe
1: business was real, right? That was part of it. I think I figured that. It, Earning money, you could you could create, right? If you create something, you could earn, and and so I had, I had owned businesses and operated businesses for basically my whole life. It started as a paper boy. I, I had the local snack bar. Cool. It was a snack bar and pro shop at the ice skating rink slash pool in, in Great Neck. And I did that for about three years, and that was I had seventeen people working for me. They were kids, and I had to just like manage a staff. I had to again do the purchasing, do the selling, do the whole nine yards, and I got very interested in business. And I ended up in the shoe, the footwear industry. I got, got married, and my my wife's family was in the industry, and they said, "Forget the the the, the snack bar, come with us. We we'd love to have you in our footwear." business. So I I did join the footwear business and they, they really, what I thought was a disservice, did me a service by saying, start in the warehouse and throw the cartons around and then look at all the return shoes that come back to see what's wrong with them. And they sent me through every single department that there was in the company at the lowest possible level. Does that happen anymore? I, I think so, actually. You know, there there are some wise people out there still that say, you know, if you want to learn how to do it, start at the bottom and learn how they do these things. So when you're at the top, you know what it takes to get the job done. And and that's sort of what I learned. And that's how I, I, I mean, I'm a people person. So I'm able to, I, I talk with people and I relate very well with people. People relate well with me. So I get to speak to people in, in in a great way while understanding what they're going through in in business mostly and, and uh, personally as well. And it makes it easy to be able to do what I'm doing today, which is coaching and mentoring people through their challenges and opportunities. I've been there. I, I've been through a lot of things when business is fantastic, when the government wants to shut down in 1992 or 93, Bill Clinton was going to sanction China and there was going to be dumping duties abound and God the world was turning upside down for us in the shoe company. And so you learn to deal with all the whatever's thrown at you, you can throw something back and you learn how to deal with it and cope with it. And it's generally through people skills and it's generally through your mindset. It's not done through through knowledge as much as it is making sure that you have the proper perspective of what you're doing.
0: I think we've lost the art of people skills in the next generation. I don't want to paint a broad brush, but I see the way my children are getting taught in schools. I see the curricula that we used to have in the 80s and 90s. We had home economics and communication courses, and they're just not teaching that the way they used to anymore. How do you feel about that?
1: Oh, I'm very active. I actually ran for school board this year to to, to see if I could make a difference in what's happening with the, with the curriculum. And, uh with the policy and everything. And, you know, it, I, I I truly believe that in education and, and that you have to teach kids how to do it. The participation trophies don't work. And what works is that when you put kids out there and you actually go to the basics and they have to learn the basics. And I think some of it's been lost and, and what's not been lost, it's been politicized. And we're not doing our next generation any good. I
0: used to work for a nonprofit I found called Stupid Cancer. And after like 16, 15 years, it was massively successful. It took 15 years and four failures before it. And do you feel it's fair to say that most people don't realize that there are so many sedimentary layers beneath what they perceive as success?
1: Oh, no, I don't think anyone sees it. They just see the glory. Mm-hmm. They don't see the work and what happens. I mean, there's a, so my kids are swimmers. I was a swimmer. And and uh, after this, the, Mike Phelps' last Olympics, he had a commercial with Under Armour that showed him working out and what he did. And it was a minute and 30 seconds. I'm getting chills talking about it, but it was the most emotional thing you can see where he he showed what it takes. And what he he didn't just go out there and swim fast and win. It took forever. It took practice after practice and throwing up and whatever... The challenges were he had to face them, and when it, the commercial ended, it said, "It's what you do in the dark that makes you shine in the light." Wow, yeah, right. It's what you do in the dark that makes you shine in the light. You have to watch the commercial because when you watch a commercial, I, you know, tears came to our eyes. Of course, we're a, a swimming family, and we're very involved in swimming, and uh, my kids follow Michael and and who, whoever the whatever's happening in swimming today. So it, it, it was... Uh, it's, it's. But that speaks to self-advocacy as well.
0: Wow. We talk about how not everyone has born with the chutzpah to be their own advocate and learning what that means and understanding you have the power to challenge authority, to ask for that second opinion, to oh my God. just to, to clap back a little bit. People have to figure that out when they're not at the doctors, when they're not facing a health crisis or when they're coming out of the aftermath. Right. of something that dropped on them, that's the dark times. You have an opportunity to find, you mentioned this before, this community of people who are like-minded. It's it's tribalism for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. We're going to wrap up in a few minutes. But I, I really do want to lean into your perspective on, have you interacted with other people with this condition? How has serving the LLS community and the, um, the team and training model helped you become an advocate for
1: others? How do you become an advocate for others? It's, yeah, you just have to share with others. That exactly what we're talking about. You have to be your own advocate. You have to go out there and do things. You obviously remember everyone who's been harmed by the disease and you help everyone who you whom you can. But you do it by knowing it, it takes you to learn how to do it. There are layers underneath and you have to work within those layers. You have to do it in the dark. You do have to learn about as much as you can to be your own advocate. I'm not scared to, to question any doctor on anything because now I know that there are people like we are and sometimes when we're, re- we're reading stuff and we just read and read and read, you might know something or not know something or just make them question to think a little deeper about what it is that's the next best step.
0: Well, I know what we're not going to call this episode, Do It in the Dark, because that'll be <laughs> gravely misconceived by yeah. our listeners. But it, I think it is the theme of our conversation today. Yeah, yeah. All right. Larry Rhinus is the founding member of the Aaron Meyer Consulting Group. Yes. and, And a rare disease advocate, I'm going to try to pronounce it myself. Here, let's see if I've learned something
1: today. Progressive myoproliferative neoplasm. Well, no, myoproliferative disorder. But oh. it is, a, MPN is a myeloproliferative. you're right, it is a neoplasm. I've been appropriately corrected. Thank you so much no, for coming pleasure. on the show, Thank Larry. Thank you for having me. This was a wonderful experience, and I hope people take to heart that they have to learn to do for themselves, as well as going to medicine for the, for the answer. Out of Patients
0: with Matthew Zachary is an off-script Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Sarah Rosa Davies. It's mixed and edited by Sarah Rosa Davies and Kyle Moore. Special thanks to Brianna Seeley for added support. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us, and we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Script Health, Visit Offscript.com. That's Offscript, no t, dot com.